Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and happy December, the first week. Hey, have you sent us your Christmas card yet? Because you know I mentioned this last week. We want you to send in a Christmas card. Awesome if it has a photo. It doesn't need to have a photo, though, because if we get your card, we will pray for you by name heading into the new year. And so we'll also put it up on our awesome Christmas card board and then divvy the cards up amongst our team and and be willing and ready to pray for you. So send your cards to Boundless Team in care of Focus on the Family at 8605 Explorer Drive, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80920. All right, well, for our inbox, we have one of our single listeners who recently lost her dad, and she's feeling really lonely right now in the wake of that. And so I'm going to weigh in with some encouragement because many of you know that I have lost both of my parents. And so we will talk a little bit about how to cope with the loss of a parent, especially as a single person. And then for our culture segment, Pastor Daniel Grothy is back to continue our conversation on ways to find stability and a sense of place as a young adult. Uh, This is part two of our discussion, and uh, you're going to want to listen to that. So Well, here we are for our roundtable, and for those of you that are regular listeners and have stayed caught up, you know that last week we had part one of this, and it's really about healthy friendships with the opposite gender. And so last week we talked to the ladies, this week we're talking to the guys, and so we're going to, we didn't put them in a soundproof booth or anything, but we're going to see, you know, we got to compare notes and see what the guys think versus what the ladies thought and how to do this well and honoring of the other gender and all that. So uh, fortunately, I've got Adam, I have Austin and Emerson. Hey guys. Hey. Hello. Okay. Well, last week I kind of kicked it off with the ladies by asking them how well they feel they do in this arena (laughs) and or did and or okay we have adam here who's married last week we had one married female on our panel so we'll maybe talk uh down the road here if it changes you know once you get married but just basically think current life think past life previous relationships whatever's going on how how do you do in this arena do you have female friends has it worked for you is it always awkward is it never awkward what does that look like well, man, I, I can go first. This is Austin, but I used to be just so scared of girls. <laughs> and then throughout, With good reason. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they are pretty terrifying. Um, but in high school, started to get a little bit better. We had a really small grade. And so I graduated with nine kids. And um, I think five or seven of them were girls. And then the other guys were guys, including me. So that kind of forced me into it a little bit. And then throughout college became better friends with, uh, with girls and had closer relationships with them since, uh, I was a part of this ministry called crew. And we had, um, my guy's small group was really friends with, uh, really good friends with another girl's small group. And so being in that big group setting, just, I think had a really great environment, which, helped me to grow closer to, to girls and, and be able to understand them better and therefore uh, love them better. So grown a lot in that. Uh, I, I think I've gotten, I'm doing better than I have been. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm in a similar boat with Austin. I think um, really what I, I wasn't super great in relationships with girls through high school. 
Um, friendships were kind of awkward. Um, and it really wasn't until I came to know the Lord that I could put that these relationships in their proper context mm-hmm. and see them as daughters of God rather than just uh, girls, <laughs> maybe that I was, I was interested in or, or trying to pursue. And so, yeah, having that different worldview, that biblical worldview, helped me uh, have true friendships and relationships with girls um, kind of into college and then up till now where I'd say um, I'm doing pretty well in my relationships and friendships with them. Okay. Well, this is Adam, and I think if you drew a line that was a continuum of dysfunction to function, however you want to label the the poles, (laughs) at some point I have put a dot down everywhere on that line. Okay. Like, I feel like I've done most of the permutations of good, bad, ugly, awesome, and everything (laughs) in between. Um, I certainly think that men and women can be friends. I think that it comes fraught with all sorts of potential for goodness and potential for problems, mm-hmm. you know? And sometimes you don't even you don't even realize that you're in dangerous territory. Mm-hmm. Well, men don't realize they're in dangerous territory. I'll just throw us all under the bus yeah. <laughs> at once here. Um, and then you realize, oh, I have made a mistake here in the way that I'm relating. And We need to work on that. Yeah. So this may sound like a dumb question or maybe an obvious question, but it's one I want to ask. Why, you know, me picking guys' brains here, why have female friends? What does that look like? I mean, clearly, you know, there are people you're going to, you know, be in the vicinity of and whatever. But what, why, you know, if you have to answer the question, why do you have female friends? How do you answer that question? That's a good question. Um, I think it's helpful to have female friends, um, not only for perspective, because then you can have a a different perspective than yours, and you can kind of build the body of the church from that. I think one of the things we know Christ died for was the unity of the body. And so that includes more than just being acquaintances with somebody. It means being knit together in love with one another. And so that, I think, is the the first reason to be friends with girls, um, apart from just that other perspective, from I don't know what it's like to be a mom, right? And I want to know how I can minister uh, to moms or how I can come alongside them and help them in our church. I think that we are all all on a mission to advance the gospel, and we do that arm in arm uh, rather than just uh, as acquaintances. I really like that, Emerson. I think that's really good. And I think building off of that, maybe a little bit selfishly in my, just for me, I have been so blessed in just my own personal walk with the Lord and just through relationships with, uh, or close relationships with women. I think for two reasons, I've grown to know God better by hearing my friends talk about how they experience the Lord and how they've come to know him and just asking good questions of like, what are you learning from the Lord? And a lot of times that'll lead to conversations that you won't normally have with guys. <laughs> um, I think I've been able to understand the tenderness of God, the humility, the patience of God a lot more just from uh, from talking to some of my friends about that. And, and then also just by having those close relationships with friends who are maybe your age, who are of the opposite gender, will help me to better love the the other women in my life. So if I get married someday, I'll be able to love my my wife better because I've I've gotten to know girls as friends first. And even now I can love my mom better because because I have heard a little bit more about what what my friends are thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that kind of helps 
to get the other side of the the greatest commandment with uh, loving God and then and then loving others. Mm-hmm. I think for me it was just a natural outgrowth of being in community. Like I'm not sure I ever really thought about it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I had a college group that I was heavily involved with and we had, I think at one point in the dorm that we were in, we had 18 people in our fellowship that all lived in that dorm, men and women. And we had one stretch, not because we were particularly spiritual, but because it worked out this way where somebody started a prayer meeting at the beginning of one of the years. And we prayed every night for the next two school years. Um, And so we just get together every night and share our lives with each other. And so for me, that context of community is where, where we shared our lives and where relationships developed. Uh, and, and I mean, big R and little R, I mean, both kinds, right. You mm-hmm. know, ones that got romantic and ones that stayed, mm-hmm. um, in the friendship area. Friendship mm-hmm. zone is something totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and <laughs> yeah. obviously when you get single people together of both genders, there are, there are all kinds of dynamics that, we learn to be aware of, but I don't think being fearful of making a mistake should keep us from understanding that there's real richness in those relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So what, I mean, we talked about this last week too with the women, because I think it's, you know, it obviously has to be addressed. There's, you know, something done healthily, but we all know that friendships with women, you know, guys and girls can get, either awkward or weird or inappropriate or whatever. And someone on either side of the aisle is going to cry foul. (laughs) There's going to be, you know, there's going to be blame assigned. So I want you guys to share from your perspective, how does it get weird? Why does it get weird? And what, in your perspective, are guys more likely culpable for? And what are women culpable for? Like, let's, let's talk about what some of the problems are. I mean, where to start? Yeah. Right. Well, Adam, books, we're going to start with you because you're the one written. that's on this continuum of weirdness that you've experienced. Oh, so. I have had <laughs> so much weirdness. It's staggering. Okay. Um, I spent, just for by way of storytelling, I spent a grand total of about 15 years in friendlationships with people that I loved <laughs> who didn't love me back. And, okay. You know, it's a shame that I didn't listen to country music during that time because it <laughs> seems like it might have helped me. Mm-hmm. Um I think that the important thing is to try to be as honest as you can Mm -hmm. with yourself and with the other person. Mm -hmm. And there are ways that you can be honest that can create weirdness. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're Mm -hmm. hanging out with somebody and you're not sure and you take that risk of initiating and it's not reciprocated, it can be weird. Or if you're a clueless guy and you're spending time with somebody and you don't realize that she's kind of into you and you make some offhanded statement that you're just friends and it's like a bomb went off, you know, I just (laughs) raised my hand. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. it can get weird. But I think when we're trying our best to be honest about where we're really at and when we screw up to say, I'm sorry, I, I didn't intend that. And I think looking without, you know, just backing up a drunk uh, a drunk truck no a dump truck <laughs> of of christianese am i really looking out for that person's best interest mm-hmm. um and that doesn't mean it can't get weird it believe me it still can um mm-hmm. but uh, as we talk as we work through things I, I think there's opportunity for redemption even in the weirdness mm-hmm. 
Hmm. Yeah, I, I wish there was just one scripture I could turn to, right, that says, <laughs> hey, when, when you're in the friend zone, this is what to do. <laughs> but um, what I, what I can... How not to be weird scripture. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> okay, um, we haven't found that yet. Not, not yet, no. <laughs> but I, I think the, the one thing I, do, I keep turning back to is, is Titus 2, um, where we're, we're learning about sound teaching and instruction, and it goes through this list, right? And then it comes to the young guys, and everyone's got this list, and the young guys, it just says, teach them to be self-controlled. And so for me, especially in my relationships, when it starts to get weird is usually, usually when we start to lose that self-control, um, mm-hmm. when, when maybe it starts getting more physical than it should be, or even we're, we're talking about things we shouldn't be talking about. And so I think the key to avoiding that, uh, when it, avoiding that before it gets there is keeping it gospel centered. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm going to meet with a girl, uh, to hang out, even if it's just like at a coffee shop, it's, I think it's important to invite the Holy Spirit to be there with you, mm-hmm. um, and to set your mind in the right place when you guys, even, even if you're just hanging out, um, because, uh, we, we, whether we eat or drink, we do it for his glory and whether we hang out or, or, or we're dating or whatever it is, we do that for his glory too. Um, so inviting the spirit into, into that space has, I found has been very helpful. In, in avoiding that awkwardness. Mm-hmm. And even I've, I've been in relationships too, uh, where I've been in a relationship and then, you know, and then she turned me down. But because of that Christ-centeredness, I know that what's happening is for my good and for God's glory. And so it, it kind of helps eradicate that, that awkwardness of, of the friend zoned or, or being friend zoned, I guess. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I would probably lean to say that uh, guys are, are usually the ones who have secret feelings for, for a friend, but I think that, I think it happens a lot, uh, the other way too. Uh, and I've, I've been on, on both sides of that. And I think one thing that's just really helpful, even though it's, it's weird and it can be so uncomfortable is just being like super clear and honest and having just talking through things. So one story is like, I had a, a friend who, uh, we had been friends since high school, and um, she uh, just start, got closer, like, after college, and then there was, like, confusion over, like, okay, like, do we like each other? Does this person like me? Who likes them? And then eventually we just uh, came back and had a conversation around it and said, like, hey, like, there's I, – I don't want you to feel like I've, I don't know, ghosted you or, like, left you out of the loop or anything like that, but, like, let's just talk about it. Like, we – leave it out in the open. We we were thinking about this, like, where are you at with this now? What do we want to do going forward? And I think just taking the risk and having that conversation was so beneficial um, for our, our friendship. And now we're, now we're friends. And, um, and so it's definitely not perfect, but I think it's the, that clarity is the best. And so you just bring things to the open and you can forgive the other person where that may be needed. And, and I can kind of confess if I've, if I've hurt the other person in some way, mm-hmm. but just being honest and humble about it. It seems to me that women, and I might've brought this up last week too, women kind of trend towards being so effusive and so social and so whatever. They kind of are like, everyone's my friend and let's mm-hmm. be friends with all these guys and let, and they can get so, especially if it is a guy that whether they know it or they don't know it yet, they kind of are a little bit interested in they're going to kind of glom onto him. And then that's where guys are like, uh, I feel like you're kind of leading me on or what are, where are we here? There's confusion. I think guys, and you guys can respond to this. Uh, it seems to me my interactions with guys, guys trend towards or where, where your culpability is, is in, I, I feel like it's very easy to get 
emotional and relational needs met from women because women are so relational. They're easy to talk to. They're, it's going to be a lot harder to go after a guy and get him to listen to you and engage with you and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. So sometimes guys, I feel use women friends as kind of those crutches of like, oh, she's just so easy to talk to, or it's easy to hang out, or she's available, or she planned something, and so why don't I just go to it? Um, I don't know. How would you guys respond to that? Well, I think guys, I think there's always a temptation for men to be passive. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think even going back to Genesis 3, one of Adam's core issues was is passivity. And so when you're passive, I think that you can look for ways to get your needs met without taking the risk. Mm-hmm. And so I think for guys, if you're interested in, you know, if you have a friend that you feel like it's growing into something more, it's really important to be, I think, intentional and to initiate clearly so that she knows where you're at. Now, having said that, one mistake story I had a friend at a workplace years ago. And we were both single. This was way before I was married. And we would hang out and have lunch. We would, you know, stop by each other's cubicles and say hi. In my mind, it was clearly in friend territory, not friend zone, um, because I never called her. I never initiated. I never did anything that, to my mind, was communicating romantic intent. And then one day it came out that even taking the initiative to stop by her cubicle and say hi had raised that level of expectation in her. Mm -hmm. And so even though I felt like I was fairly self-aware, she would still say I led her someplace that I didn't intend to. And that was really really humbling Mm -hmm. um, because I'd been on the other side of things more often where – I was interested in somebody who didn't reciprocate. Um, and so it was just a good reminder that if if I'm building relationship one-on-one, I need to think about context. I need to think about my intent. Am I initiating? And what am I, what am I communicating? Mm-hmm. That's good. So what would be your advice uh, to the women listening, you know, just any kind of advice for how to best relate to guys in friendship without, you know, what what would be most helpful, do you think, to men for, for women in establishing appropriate boundaries, helping you understand where they're coming from, being like, hey, this is just on a friendship plane, this is nothing more. Um, what would be your best advice for women in that? Man, I think, uh, I don't know, just kind of going back to clarity, I've, I've, I have a couple of friendships where we just, as I don't know. It's it's kind of silly, but we we're just both like we're all three of us were like, oh, like no, like we're we're all just friends. And like pretty clear at the beginning of our friendship. And I think we would all be be loving and and understanding enough to um to have a conversation if something like that changed, but it's I think it's man, I I really appreciated having that kind of verbally said in a way. And I don't I don't know if that's the best in in all situations, but uh, just in in this friendship, it's been good. But I think I think girls can can really help uh, guys in, in friendships just by sharing, a, just being honest about about those things that that might be misleading for them, and having those kinds of conversations. I actually 
was talking about that with a couple with a couple of uh some of my female friends last night and we were just got into some conversation about just modesty and like what's the most helpful for you guys like what's like what how do you guys respond to this and mm. um and so it was just a really healthy really in, informative conversation that really helped me be able to love them better yeah you know and i think I found that as I got older as a single, and I, some of you know I got married when I was 34, which was much longer than I thought I would be single, um, I got I got to a point, and I, I can't remember, it was in my late 20s, where I felt like it's not about formulas, you know? It's about, it's about relating to people and paying attention to the Holy Spirit and taking responsibility when I screw up mm-hmm. and not having the pressure to have it perfect. I think sometimes we want to get it all defined and we want to have a system that gives us all the answers. And that's usually about control because I don't want to get hurt. Um, and, and it's okay to acknowledge that relationships can be messy. They can be, uh, mysterious, uh, you know, both just in, well, in lots of ways. And so it's all okay pay attention to how God is leading you. I think for guys being in relationship with other men mm-hmm. is a, an important safeguard just mm-hmm. to sort of check our motives. And, um, you know, when we're not watching football and eating <laughs> chips, occasionally we can have a grunting conversation about the state of our hearts for a little bit. Um, but, but I think that's important too. So it's, and, and the safeguard of community. So I think there are layers of safety built in, and if you're committed to that, it doesn't mean you're always going to get it right. It doesn't mean you're not going to hurt somebody or be hurt. But, you know, we try to deal with it as it comes. Yeah. Well, thanks, you guys, for weighing in on this. I appreciate your perspective on this after hearing the women last week. So thanks much. Thank, Thank you. you. you everyone. Welcome to this week's culture segment, which is part two of a conversation that I am having with Daniel Grothy. He is a pastor here in Colorado Springs at New Life Church. Um, in addition to that, obviously, he's a speaker, an author. He's got a lot going on. Um, he lives on a farm. I told you that last week. We're going to learn more about that. That's awesome. But he is the author most recently of the book, The Power of Place, Choosing Stability in a Rootless Age. And uh, we were talking last week about how this is so important to so many of us who have been told and have really believed that 
you got to hustle and you got to go after, you know, more influence, more passion, more stuff, whatever you're supposed to be going after. And it's just freaking us all out (laughs) and making us super stressed out. And as a result, we are growing up and growing into adulthood without knowing family members, friends. We're not keeping friends across uh, ages and stages and stuff. And it's a super bummer. And so Daniel is saying, Ah, we've got to, especially as the church, do this differently. And so welcome back, Daniel. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Great to have you back. Okay, so last week we talked a lot about just the mess we're in and why we're all just, you know, distressed over feeling we need to be somewhere else. And But here you have in the, in the subtitle of your book talking about us being rootless So I want you to actually help define for us, because we're going to talk about rootedness and being rooted. Um, You know, you actually address three benefits to being rooted in life Mm -hmm. in the book. And first of all, explain to us, for someone who's like, I don't even know what you mean by rooted, because what, you know, what am I supposed to do? Just, yeah, like start farming or something like that. Talk about what this is. Well, it's a metaphor that is not something we should race past. Trees grow up in a particular place and give fruit and give life and give shade and give beauty from that location. And so the the farming metaphor, the the metaphor of the land, and it's something interesting to me that Jesus so often his metaphors were agricultural. And again, Jesus was of Nazareth. He was from that place. So being rooted is to stay in a place for a long time, to put your life there, to put your very best energy there, to leverage your strength. Jesus has given all of us unique giftings and graces that I get out of bed doing certain things pretty decently. And if I don't do that for the people right around me in my community, then we, I suffer, they suffer, and and I've wasted what God has given me. You get out of bed, Lisa, in the morning, just crushing certain things. Like, no one does it like Lisa. And if that's not made available to the people right in the, the flow of your life, then everyone's impoverished for that. So using the image, the metaphor of trees rooted, you know, Psalm 1, what does David say about the people of God? They will be like trees planted by streams of water that bear fruit in every season and their leaf never withers and whatever they touch prospers. And I think we're living in a world that's got this transplant trauma. <laughs> we, we just keep uprooting and moving around and we wonder why certain areas of our lives aren't flourishing. So there's that right there. Being rooted means staying, means being available, and means the place that you are can receive the fruit from the life that you're living. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Um, you ask about the benefits of place, uh, of being rooted in place. There's three things that stand out to me uh, from Scripture and just by paying attention. First, place nourishes in us security. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Abraham Maslow, 1943, rose up and said, hey, if you want to flourish in the great quest of becoming a human being, at the very bottom of your development, you need a safe, secure place to flourish. You, You can't be bouncing. You like we don't develop under duress. We develop when we can take a deep breath and when there's a predictable place with predictable people and a food source and some clean water and a place to lay your head. He says at the very bottom of the quest of human becoming, you've got to have security in place. So that's one thing, security. The second thing is place helps give us an identity. 
Mother Teresa doesn't become Mother Teresa in the Silicon Valley. She becomes who she was for the world and does what God put in her by being in Calcutta and the the need and the place demanding the very best of her gifts. Her identity arose. It it drew it out of her, right? Steph Curry, Seth Curry, two brothers playing in the NBA. Their dad, Dell, played in the NBA for 16 years. Those boys grew up thinking every dad played in the NBA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were in the gym and they were lifting weights and they were in the locker room hamming it up with the other guys and is it any shock that Peyton and Eli Manning became who they became growing up in Archie's house, 13 years in the NFL? So place gives us security, but it also nurtures in us a real clear identity. And your place will demand certain things of your gifting and shape you. But then the final thing that I think place affords us is the opportunity to exercise skilled mastery. I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up going into uh, hospitals at midnight and doing weddings and funerals with my parents and opening the church doors on Sunday morning at 6 a.m. and locking them up at 10 p.m. We were that kind of church Sunday morning twice and Sunday night (laughs) and Wednesday night Mm -hmm. and all, you know. And it, it gave me the chance to practice my craft, to become a leader, to develop. And my pastor would call me up at 10 years old and say, hey, Daniel, you got any Uh, you got an encouraging word for the people. This is a church of 10,000 people in Tulsa and I'm 10 and he's having me do the offering talk (laughs) and three minutes. And, and I, and I was able to just grow in the gift place gives us security. It gives us identity, but it also allows us to practice our way into the world and to, to develop a skill that will help us to be gainfully employed and to make a difference and to make a mark. So, And I want to, I actually want to focus in on something that you definitely touched on, and that is the importance of relationships. Mm-hmm. So let's talk first about family, because mm-hmm. again, there are a lot of people that, you know, straight up boundless fans who are like, Lisa, mm-hmm. I know how I'm going to solve this. I'm going to get married and that person just has to stick with me and they're going to be my person and they're going to be, and I'm going to feel fulfilled and then I'm going to have kids and that will give me identity too. Mm -hmm. And we know that that's no guarantee (laughs) for anything or against loneliness or Mm -hmm. against anything. Mm -hmm. So here's, here's the question is, so like, say we're talking to a young adult listener, most obviously who probably is single, mm-hmm. um, probably moved somewhere because either they went to college there or they had to go there for a job or something happened. What does it look like for them? Let's start with family. Yeah. What does it look like for them to be connected with family, whether they have healthy, generally healthy family relationships or maybe not? Yeah. How do they go after that in a way that is intentional? Well, first, I have great encouragement for you, listener, living in that kind of context. The Son of God, Jesus Christ the Lord, was never married and was deeply fruitful, changed the world, salvation came. And so we live in a world that says, until you get dot, 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 you can't dot, dot, dot. Until you get this, you know, figured out and you get married, then you can, until you're a mom, until you're a dad, until you're gainfully employed, until you, until you live in a really cool city that other people want to be in, you can't do this. And you look at Jesus and you just go, actually, I I can cross that narrative off my list. And with the family, Jesus had a very complex family story. It was not glorious. It was not beautiful. It wasn't stuff that Hallmark movies were written about. 
Mm. Jesus grew up... At, you mean they didn't have their homeschool <laughs> curriculum and be all like on the family adventures? I'm in telling the... you, Jesus, I mean, we've got this in the Gospels. His mother and siblings come to him while he's leading a meeting in a home. And they go, send out that boy because he's lost his mind. Yeah. And Jesus somehow is able to live in the complexity, in even sometimes the madness of his own blood family relationships. So... You don't have to have a utopian ideal experience to live a meaningful life. You don't have to be married to live a fruitful life. You don't have to have a simple family to have peace. (laughs) Jesus tells us all of those uh, things. So uh, what I would say is Jesus had the blessing of the community around him. And you, you, the the earliest story that we hear of him as a 12-year-old, you know, we, we know basically two stories about Jesus before his ministry started at 30. He got circumcised on the eighth day, and he got lost at church when he was 12. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we know. But we also know that he's traveling to and from Jerusalem with his community of family, aunties and uncles, extended relations, people who, you know, cousin John the Baptist, out mixing it up with him, wrestling in the dirt and becoming the little men of God that would rise up to call Israel back and to call the world back to repentance. And So Jesus is enmeshed in a complex set of relationships, and they're not easy, and very often they're troubling, they're frustrating. He's rolling his eyes going, what's wrong with these folks? And still, God preserves him and raises him up to change the world. And so if that's you and you've got a broken family story, like all of us have, Take great heart. Like you, it doesn't have to all be locked in for you to rise up and to change the world. So uh, I think Jesus shows us that you can live in the middle of the complexity and find the blessing of God still. Yeah. Now, does that mean, like, what would be a good way for someone to stay connected to family? Like, say, you know, because a lot of, you know, we talk a lot even in the church of like parents like launching their kids, but maybe they've launched them a little too far. And mm-hmm. then the kids are like, hey, well, I want to circle back and, mm-hmm. and tap into my folks and get good advice and get wisdom and whatever. But maybe sometimes they feel like they're in this new city or they're doing whatever. And it's it, or maybe a sibling, you know, has married and moved on and yeah. now is in their own space. How yeah. can they stay connected? It takes everyone wanting to do the dance. Mm-hmm of family. And some people leave and they they burn the bridge and they're gone and they're paying their bills and they're writing their own story. And they're almost living with a middle finger to the the story that their family was. I'm going to write my own. Yeah. That's not going to work. Yeah. It takes the mutuality. It's the Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I was telling my kids this week on a drive home, like, Lisa and I say all the time, let's give our kids so very little to overcome. Let's just try to be easy. Let's try to be simple. I, I talk with a lot of people as a pastor who come into my office, and what I hear is just how difficult it is to be around their parents. Mm-hmm. So I'm not knocking—I'm just saying as parents— Ask yourself the question, like, how easy is it to be around me? <laughs> how Do I add to or do I take away from? So parents, try to live and, and be spacious and welcoming and hospitable and, and keep your arms and your, your doors open. Kids, you 
you're the one going to build a life right now and your parents very often are in the twilight years where that sort of ambition, that push ha has receded for them and they're, they are a little more settled and a little more stable. You've got to be the one who prioritizes being back with, flying back home if you're away or staying in town you know, if you're in the same city. We try to have regular family dinners with extended family. It doesn't happen accidentally. We're all living wildly busy lives. Mm -hmm. But plan first what matters most. Mm -hmm. So if my kids knowing their grandparents matters, then I'm going to budget for that with my time, with my money. I'm going to say no to other, other things so that I can say yes to that. So I would encourage everyone in the family system has a, has a, a dance here, you know, a, a movement in the dance. And when we can defer and honor and respect and prioritize and then just try to be easy, <laughs> I think we stand a chance of doing it well. Yeah. Okay, well, let's turn a page um, that's good about family in particular. Let's turn a page and talk about um, community in mm -hmm. the sense of let's talk about the church. Mm -hmm. Let's talk mm -hmm. about what might need to become your family mm -hmm. if you're in a place where you don't have uh, biological connections and stuff. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people want to just like gripe about the church because I think historically we haven't done this super well. Sure. We're just as suburban and lame and detached as <laughs> everyone that we criticize out there in the yeah, culture at yeah. large. Um, but honestly, like one of the, one of the top questions I get here at Boundless is Lisa, how do I make friends? How do I keep friends? Mm -hmm. How do I go deeper in friendship? Mm -hmm. I mean, hello, don't we as believers have the Holy Spirit? Why are we not why why are we playing the game of all this detached behavior as well? Yeah. Well, we have to start with the human ache. At base, at the very bottom, we all long to be known, we long to be embraced, we long to be valued. You've heard it said there's no sound so great in the human ear as the sound of one's own name. Mm -hmm. When someone says Daniel Wilson Grothy, something moves in my heart. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, you know me. You care. You took the time. You, you're addressing me in a lonely world. We all want to be known, mm -hmm. and this is what the Church of Jesus traffics in. This is what we give. This is our export to the world. Psalm sixty-eight. Four and five. God is father to the fatherless, a defender of orphans and widows. This is God in his holy place who sets the lonely into families. And you look at Genesis 3, the family unit is fractured. Genesis 4, because of sin, the first brothers, kill, one kills the other. We see that the curse turns into being driven away and, and isolation and loneliness, exile. And what we see in Jesus is Jesus is beginning to bring, he's refamilying the world. And he grabs this group of 12 ragtag folks and a larger community around him. He sends out the 70. There's 500 that day at his ascension. So there's this community that he's collecting from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. And you got religious zealots as disciples and tax collectors. Like those two don't, I mean, that, think of the most opposed groups of people in America today. And Jesus grabs one of each of them and says, come and follow me. We're going to be family. So the church is the place where the fragmented, 
isolated world gets refamilied. And we, black, white, brown, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, Democrats, Republicans, and independents, we gather around the same table to receive the same bread and the same shed blood. And Jesus is refamilying the world. So the church will disappoint you. Welcome to life. <laughs> The church will be imperfect, and why? Because it's a bunch of people who are trying their best, Lord willing, trying their best to follow Jesus. So if you're looking for the church that's airtight and perfect, you will be sorely disappointed. But if you will put down your roots and say, look, I'm going to just pick a place. I'm going to put down my roots. I'm going to live here. Someone said the other day to a great theologian, they said, hey, you know, I've been at my church for a year and I'm not sure if I can. And he goes, "Okay, I'll give you that. He said, here's my instruction to you. Give the church a decade and then let me know. Hmm. And we have gotten so impatient. We want in six months my life to be changed and I want my best friends on the planet. It takes a (laughs) long time to become old friends. And so if you'll pick a place and stay there and weather the storm, We've done this at New Life. It was so easy and so appealing to want to run during our years of difficulty. But people stayed, and we we look up now, and we go, we have riches that we could never have imagined. So I'd say pick a place, be faithful, stay there, forgive quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let the fruit of the Spirit grow in you as people annoy you. Learn to be patient. But But if you'll do that over the long haul, you'll look up and you'll find the family that is not primarily biological bloodline, but the family that has been marked by the blood of Jesus Christ. You'll be rich in relationship if you'll stay. Yeah. So let's talk kind of as we finish out again, our last few minutes here, I would love for you to give some practical examples for the person, again, not to solve all their woes or whatever, but just the whole, okay, Daniel, I'm hearing you and I know I can't fix everything, but I also don't want to be trapped in inertia. Like what... What can I do? What can I go after to really look around me, whether it's within the church, whether it's within my neighborhood, Mm -hmm. my community, ways to just really start going after growing slowly, surely some roots? What are what are good ways to show up in your community and and do that? The last section of the book is the practices of place. Mm -hmm. And uh, those five practices are one home like Build a place that you love to be. And I don't mean build a, a custom home. I, I just mean you may be living in a, an, a, sharing an apartment with someone. Beautify that place. Let it be your place that you return to. It's your haven. It's the place where sanity is restored. And if we don't love where we're living, if we haven't at least tried our best to make it ours, mm-hmm. we will ache to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So establish the place where you lay your head down at night and make it a beautiful little retreat for you. So home, family, you know. So if you're married, th- that would include marriage. If you're not, try to live faithfully within your family system as best you can. The third practice is friendship. What kept Lisa and I afloat here in our first years, we left our family from Tulsa and came out here to start working at this church where we didn't know many people, but our friends carried us through those first five troubling years. And if you've got people that you're, you feel responsible for, that you're growing in love with, you're sharing life with, then you can last, you can stay faithful in a place. Church is the fourth practice, local church community, like do establish. We just talked about that. And then finally, fifth, community. Get on a school board. 
if you've got a little neighborhood, uh, you know, entrance, go plant flowers in the front and get all the retired people in your neighborhood to come help. You'll help them become friends with their neighbors. We don't necessarily know the people we're living next to. That is a new thing in human history. So fall in love with your neighborhood, take care of those kids on your street, have extra popsicles in your freezer, and just when they're around you, you're responsible for them and you're going to live for their good. Uh, serve Springs Rescue Mission. You know, Find the, the homeless in your community and figure out how you can serve them. To the extent that you go deeper in love for your community, I think the, the tree of your life will grow taller and, and spread out in that community. So there's that. And then let me say to this, this unique group of people who are listening to this moment, many of you are asking, how do I know which city? Okay, like, how, how do I pick? How do I, is it just I get out a map and I kind of throw a dart at it? Or like, I, I've created a little acronym here in the book that I think can be helpful for people who are asking the question, how do I know which city to go to or which place to pick? Five letters, it, it spells drops, D-R-O-P-S. So first is desire. Is there a place that you want to be? There are plenty of places that I know I don't want to be. I won't name any of them because some of you <laughs> likely live there. But I just, when you say that city, my heart grows cold. Like, I just don't know. I, I don't want to be there. But there are certain places, man. Some of you, you go, I just need to be by water. Or I love the rugged mountains. Or I love the Midwest agricultural farm feel. Like, if you know there's a desire in you, pay attention to that desire. It's not everything. But it's not nothing. Mm -hmm. Honor the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So pay attention to desire. The second thing is relationships. I'm out here because I had a few friends that were in Colorado Springs at New Life Church. And they said, hey, come. And we came out here and I thought I could see myself growing old with these people in this place. It, It was just very rare that I would think the Lord would call me to a place where I don't have at least one or two relationships that matter. Mm-hmm. Jesus sent them out two by two. Mm-hmm. Relationship matters in our stability in place. So desire, relationships, opportunities. Mm-hmm. We came here because a job was offered. Like I would not suggest going to a place where there is no real clear opportunity. That to me, I've seen people come to Colorado Springs because the rugged mountain feel, and I just want to go write my story out there. And you look up three years later, and it's mm-hmm. kind of like they're they're – floundering, they're Mm -hmm. lagging, because they just moved out here without any relationship and without any opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I'd be I'd be slow on that. So pay attention to where the opportunities are. The the fourth letter, D R O P, would be purpose. Mm -hmm. I want to be here in this place with these people and and the job that I've been offered allows me to be the thing that I feel like God has really demanded me become. I get to pastor people, serve people. So Pay attention when you're thinking about a city. Like, could I see the thing that's been put in me by the Spirit? Could I see that flourishing there? Would the purpose be able to come out? And then the final thing is skills. Nashville needs great world-class musicians. Palo Alto needs great engineers and programmers. Uh, there, uh, you know, Oklahoma needs people who know how to work out in the oil fields and roll up their sleeves. And, like there are certain places that have certain skills that are needed. And so, if you could see that I desire to be there, I've got some relationships, opportunities, purpose, and my skills fit that place. That to me, it's not a perfect. This isn't some scientific deal. I think it's a grid though that you can filter your 
your question through where do I want to be? If if you get two or three of those checked off the list, I'd really pay attention to that place. Yeah, that's really good. Well, um, as we've talked through here, I mean, you will see there is so much more in the book, you guys. And again, it is called The Power of Place. We've been talking with Pastor Daniel Grothy. Um, really, I mean... In addition to this book, he wrote a book called Chasing Wisdom, and now he's got this one. And again, we we said it's choosing stability in a rootless age. And so hopefully this will give you just some inspiration and some insight not to go running onto your next thing, <laughs> but to consider what God has for you, where you are. And if you can bloom where you're planted and look around you and see what God may have for you right where you are. And sometimes there's a move in your future, yep. whatever, you know, we don't know Absolutely. what that, you know, Daniel's not still in Tulsa, mm-hmm. but at the same time, um, recognizing why we are where we are and with whom we are with. And so I think that uh, bears mentioning. And so uh, again, the book, The Power of Place, we want to make this available to you um, for a gift of any amount to Boundless as we finish out the year and have our year-end giving campaign. So just go to boundless.org. You can search for 722. That is this week's episode. And uh, just click on the book cover there. Go ahead and give a gift to Boundless, whatever, literally whatever you can afford. And we will send this book to you in return. So Daniel, thank you so much for living this out, thinking it through, praying it through, and uh, putting it to paper so that we can benefit as well. Thanks so much for having me. The first day that I took a breath, I woke up already blessed, been with me ever since, been with me every step, to the top I overflow, with your love I gotta let it show. As we finish out the show, we always open up our inbox, and uh, that is where we answer a question that one of you listeners has submitted, and so today is no exception. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this one, and then I'm getting to answer this today. So uh, yeah, I'm really privileged to be able to do that. Our listener says, my dad just passed away a month ago, and my situation as a never married person is different than for my married siblings and friends. Since I don't have a husband to talk to for advice, I have always gone to my parents. They also lived down the street from me, so I hung out with them at least once a week and was very involved in their lives. My dad always took care of the repairs on my house and car, and now I just feel lost. For me, losing my dad was like losing half of a spouse in a way. Lisa, I know your parents have both passed away, and you know what it's like to lose them as a single. What's your advice for someone walking through something like this? Well, thank you so much for writing and uh, really sharing your heart. And I'm so sorry for your loss. I mean, just passing away a month ago, that is so hard and that's new and that's fresh. And I know people will always say, 
Um, you know, sometimes people just say weird stuff, but honestly, I mean, the truth is, you know, if your dad knew Jesus, um, it is such great news for him, but the rest of us left behind are left to grieve. And so the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to do just that, to make time to grieve and realize that not only do you have a general loss of a parent here, someone very close to you, someone very important to you, but this is a unique loss as a single person because a lot of people, once they get married, you know, and they leave and cleave, and sometimes they start having kids, uh, they form their own new family unit. But your parents were still your immediate family. This was your tribe, your people. And so that's a unique uh, position to have lost in your life. And so um, you know, it's also very, very situational. Like you said, I mean, there are very real things now that you have lost, like uh, your dad's advice and his help with repairs and all of that. I remember um, just distinct things that I remembered losing. In fact, walking through the the thought that, wow, now that my dad was gone, if I ever get married, he wouldn't be at my wedding. And so those are all very real losses and you have to give yourself time in the midst of that. So um, I would recommend in thinking this through and some of this grief you have to process on your own, but also spend a good amount of time um, if you can and will with your mom because she is feeling this uniquely as well. I think you two can be a support for one another. Um, Clearly, her feelings are going to be intense. She is sharing in this loss with you. And I hope that you two can share great memories of your dad together and uh, be those people who so uniquely and specifically remember him, you know, laugh about him, cry about him. Um, And then also, Find other single women, you know, like like myself, <laughs> other single women who are uh, are in the same boat in having lost a parent because, again, they have shared that unique experience in the same way that you have. And so um, they can often be a great support, especially if they're just even a few steps ahead of you in this. So um, and then obviously, I would encourage you to go to your Heavenly Father. I know I enjoyed spending a lot of time in the Psalms in particular, uh, going through my grief, you know, scripture says that we are to uh, cry out to the Lord. He is very near to the brokenhearted. He is uh, close to us, and he definitely um, knows and enters into our grief and is very willing to do that. And so, you know, you know that, uh, as I said before, if your dad was a Christian, this is only a see you later for him. Um, But also, you know, in the practicalities of things, as time wears on, be willing to let um, other men in your church maybe step in, um, be that kind of fatherly figure. You know, sometimes there's some grandpas in church or older men, uh, older couples who would love to take you under their wing and um, guys who would like to uh, be part of your life and be that new replacement fix-it guy uh, that might be able to contribute. And, you know, not only is that a ministry to you, but you, by allowing that to to happen when it's time are allowing yourself to be a blessing to them as well. I always encourage um, people who have a need or who want to be in that space, you know, you don't deprive them the opportunity of, of being a blessing. Certainly don't force it, but take baby steps in that direction. And so um, we all know that God is our only fail-proof father. And so whether you're single or married, you know, um, God meets our needs in a, in a special way. Uh, he is the one 
in which we will have our identity, not in any earthly relationship. And so um, listen to your father, talk to him, um, ask him to uh, jump into your situations as you're walking through them. And uh, I think that you will be encouraged by that. But again, time, 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 um, spend that time in, in grief, in leaning in closely to the Lord, to the rest of your family, to your church community, and walk it out because um, others have gone before you and you will be able to do this victoriously as well. So stay encouraged um, and much love from Boundless. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. As always, we do want to hear from you. So write to us at editor at boundless.org, whether you have a question for the show in the future, whether you just want to say hi, um, we would certainly love uh, to hear from you. And as we've been saying, heading towards the end of the year now, uh, we're now in December. And so if you would still like to give a gift to Boundless for our year-end giving campaign, you can go to boundless.org slash donate and give there. And everything... Uh, that is given to us is going into our ability to uh, come up with resources through the next year and new opportunities for you as our friends and family. So uh, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.